Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm Sean McIver, your host, and today I'm delighted to be talking with Béranger Chantreau-Fuchs. She's an accomplished leader in consumer insights and product marketing, driven by a passion for innovation. Béranger has worked with various leading companies such as eBay and Amazon, where she's known for her ability to see beyond the data itself. Leveraging insights to create successful digital products that deeply resonate with customers. She also excels in driving customer-obsessed initiatives that fuel growth for digital platforms. She earned a BA in philosophy and history from the University of Paris, Panthéon Sabon. Welcome, Belgia. Have I missed anything there? No, no, no. Thank you very much, Sean. And very, very happy to be with you today and talking about consumer engagement, which is my favorite topic. Excellent. I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you. When I saw your background and I saw your experience historically, I was like, oh, because some of the businesses that you've worked with previously have come up in previous conversations with us. So that leads me into my first question for you. You've had quite a few different roles with a lot of very impressive job experience. How would you go about describing your background? How did you evolve into the roles that you've been in? Yeah, no, thank you. That's a great question. I think, and I actually very recently worked a lot with on a concept, which is the swiggly career path. And actually that goes very well with what you just said. I think mainly my interest into work has, has been leaded by passion for the customer and passion for trying to find the right spot between what we can understand from a consumer feedback and how we put that into a product that works and make an impact from a business perspective. So I start my career in consulting, first in France and then in the UK. That was a number of years ago now. And it was the beginning of the digital transformation that we are still in. So I think even when I started with a very tech approach at the beginning, which was, you know, let's build the product of this new digital world, it had evolved to how we are actually making sure that the human is at the center of this interaction. And that when we are building more and more layers of digital around us, we can also create the human touch point that will enable brands to then build the consumer affinity and advocacy that they need to get the competitive advantage. How do companies go about starting that journey? If we're talking about building these digital layers around a customer-centric standpoint, how do companies begin building those layers without it becoming almost this hard shell that's impossible for companies to go from being customer-centric to still providing those channels? That's a very, very good question. And one of the things that I discovered in my journey is that there is as many ways to describe customer centricity that there is teams, organizations, companies, industry. And even kind of starting to be research for me in terms of what are the different ways that we can be customer centric. One way is to be very data informed and looked at 
CSAT data, NPS data, app review data, user experience data, I mean, all of the data that you can come up from behavioral data as well, and then make sure that you're making your product and your decisions based on those data. But that's not enough. Consumer centricity is also about knowing your customer and knowing your customer by heart, by meeting them, by having empathy, by understanding as well the diversity of the different population that you are serving. And this is another of the key trends that I've seen in my, in my life, and I'm actually very happy to have seen that in my career, is that the first apps we were building, we were not thinking of accessibility like we were doing now. We are not thinking about representation like now it's part of what everyone is doing. And by combining a data-informed approach with a really empathetic and diverse part of an approach in human touch, that's how you know, real customer centricity can thrive and then lead to very, very good, successful product. It's interesting because as there's been, certainly over my career, there's there, in terms of duration, there's been this shift away from, I am the business, I provide you the service uh, to the customer, and you should be thankful for that. That's now transitioned to, no, no, I am the customer, and I am the one who is in the position of power. And it's been interesting that over that period of time, there are companies some of which you've worked for, who have responded very, very positively to that. And there are other companies who still seem to be on that journey. If I was a company that was out there who was just beginning this journey, is there somewhere that you would recommend as being, no, no, you have to start with this one thing? Is there one golden guiding star you would suggest? Yeah. I do think that actually it's easier for a kind of a brand new company to start with a consumer at first in mind than with an established institution. You know, let's, let's not think things beyond company, that it is to move towards a place which is process driven, for example, to being customer driven. That is actually probably more difficult than acting from scratch. When you think about very innovative business or the very lively London started scene, for example, you can see people that are actually starting from the customer and walk backwards, like in, in, in the, the words of Jess Bethos. But, and if I have one thing to say to a relatively, you know, a new business is to really think about the, the customer that they want to serve and not only about the first people that they will interact with their product, but also all the one that they are not actually reaching on the first step, but could be. And so really finding how they can attract and be a magnet of attraction for all of those potential customers from that. And then for companies that are on the journey of becoming or thinking about customer centricity, I think it's more about thinking really about the purpose and articulating for everybody that is putting and working in a company, sometimes very hard actually, to think about why I am here. Why do I do for my customer? Why is this important purpose? And from that point, you know, work backwards as well in terms of prioritizing things that are important over things that are just processes that are needed for the company to run. And one example I can have in mind is in the insurance business, for example, or in an insurance call center, you might actually have a, a way to think or a mind thing to think that the agents are just answering call to people call, calling but in reality, an insurance company is providing much, much more than that. An insurance company is here to help when things go wrong. <laughs> an insurance company is helped to protect 
families or businesses or individuals against risk that could happen, which could be any type of risk that you can see. And by focusing on the purpose here, it's the way to bring back the empathy that we were talking about and think about, okay, that's where we should start from and then work backwards in terms of what the processes need to be. I'm going to go off on a slight tangent only to back up what you've just said, because it's reminded me of something that happened to me. Previously, I had a dog. He was a beautiful big dog. He was a greyhound and it came to the end of his life and we did the necessary. And unfortunately, you know, I had to contact the insurance company and the response I got from the insurance company, I'll never forget because it lacked empathy. It was clinical and it was, oh, the dog has been destroyed. And I remember kind of thinking to myself, oh, you can't say that. It was it was awful. How could you say that? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, at the time thinking, oh, God. And actually, that just, for me, it just crystallizes what you've just said. It's absolutely the case. You must have empathy. Because as you say, in the example of the insurance company, in those situations, when, you know, many of those customers are getting in touch, they've been through some of the most challenging times of their lives. And if you can't have empathy, then the challenge i suppose and it's one that i've asked a couple of times now but i'm really intrigued in in your thoughts on this is i'm the owner of biginsurance123.com <laughs> and my employees are process driven where's the value for me in terms of being customer centric why why do i need to be customer centric as chairman of the board what difference to how do i demonstrate that that's going to be impactful to my roi yeah no good question And actually, so there is one way to answer, which is that you either are customer-centric or you're not. (laughs) And some very strong business leaders are when they build a successful company and others are less. But I do come back to two things that are more for the people that are not already there (laughs) or already sold on this. First is competition. So the more competitive your business, the more important the way that your customer talked about your business, the experience that they get through the more important it is. And so it's true in a relatively competitive business. Like I can think about one actually, which is likely not, it's not insurance related, but think about coffee chains, for example. I live in an area in London where there is a narrow Acosta and a Gales <laughs> really kind of near each other. <laughs> and so every morning you just say, which one I'm going to? And a lot of the answer is actually about of the quality of the coffee, but the experience of the atmosphere, the loyalty reward, the price, all of this together. And it's, you know, it's, that's what we call the holistic view of the customer experience. Everything counts here and every little helps us, <laughs> as we know, for another competitive environment. So competition is the number one thing to rest. And then the second thing is long-term strategy and long-term vision for your business. The human, at the end of the day, is what remains in terms of legacy, in terms of doing the right thing, either for diversity and inclusion or for a responsibility. It's also about doing the right thing for your employees. So it's actually building value over time compared to a relatively you know, short-term process-driven thing that possibly will solidified and fossilized into something that at the end of the day, people don't want to interact with. And to come back to your example of the insurance company, Think about the time that actually if the call center experience or the experience that you had is not good, will you feel then that you have you feel that you pay a good value for money next time that you pay an insurance with this company? Probably not. 
So maybe you may even actually not call the call center the next time, not go for an upgrade of the premium, not feeling cared for, not feeling also validated or helped or supported as an individual. All of this at the end is actually impacting the brand of the insurance company. And that leads beautifully into another point that I did want to touch on, and that's around what's become something, I don't want to say buzzword, but it's there's a lot more focus on this because it is a genuine thing. And I feel buzzwords are sometimes seen as not being real. I think this is real. And that's around brand advocacy. And I just wanted to get your input on what you feel that means to the modern business and also to the customer as well, to the consumer. Yeah, this has actually been very, very critical to my work in, in the last years. And there is a bit of a buzzword talking about, oh, let's convert customer into fans. And then you say, oh, no, I will never be fans of an insurance company. But in reality, some of the research I've done recently opened my eyes as how some brands can have a very, very strong link with the customers, with their customers, up to the point that they are dropping them in conversation without thinking about as a commercial discussion or in commercial approach. It could be also brands that are really helping them to achieve something. For example, in this research about brand connection, the fitness brands or brands, sports brands come very, very high as helping people to actually achieve something, helping make them feel better or feel at their best. And I think this is something about what brand advocacy and brand affinity should be. Is that, yes, I'm part of your life as an insurance company, as a utility company, as an institution, as a passion brand, as a content brand. But I'm more than just providing services. I'm part of your life. I'm helping you to achieve human goals. I'm providing content. I'm providing fun. I'm providing connection with other individuals. This is all about what is encompassed into connection to a brand advocacy. So that's bring back to a bit more, you know, operational because that could go, <laughs> feel a little bit <laughs> high level. But going backwards to what does it mean in a customer experience perspective? It's mean good customer satisfaction. It's mean also providing a level of service that people feel okay to recommend to their friends and family. Talked about being a customer of X or Y or Z and being happy and okay about all of this is part of what that could be. I understand and agree with what you're saying. So within certain brands, there are, and within the global industries that we have, there are certain brands whereby you go from being more than just a brand ambassador, you go to be almost a brand zealot. I go to a gym and both because of the membership structure and also because of the experience I have there, I wouldn't dream of going to another gym and I would actually travel further to go to my brand of gym. At the same time, if I'm standing in a shop that sells cards and I need to use a pen, I'm not going to go out of my way to find a particular brand of pen to use because it's just a pen. Is there a degree of brand ambassadorship that you have to accept as almost an upper ceiling within your brand vertical? Yes and no. There are a lot of things to unpack from what you just said here. First, I do believe that each brand in winning industry, there is always a space to tell a story. So if you take the idea of the pens, for example, here, you may not see a lot of difference in this shop between pen A and pen B and pen Z. But for other customer, they might remember Pen Z being the 
pain of their life, life well, childhood, sorry, or what they were using at school. Or they might remember, and I remember that from my a French example, but the inventor, the first inventor of the roller bike, bike sorry, was has, has talked about the story of being the first one. And then some people like actually pulled off that. So there is always a space to build, to build this story. But then when I think that something that you said is very important is that as individual, as consumer, we are multi-layered completely multi-layered. One day it's very important and to go to the gym that really go with your values. And then the other day on another thing, doesn't really matter if it's X or Z that you're choosing. Depending on this, you know, you might be brand advocate, brand affinitated, that, 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 and that will depend and be different from one individual to the next in terms of which area it's important or not. And this is where consumer insight as an industry we're coming in. Because we are here to help companies to know their customer within within this level of details in terms of what is important to them when they are making a purchase decision. Is it only price? Is it price and convenience? Is it price, convenience and location? Is the brand important? Is the narrative important? Is the value important? Is the politics involved? Because, you know, for some generation, it's more important than others. All of this is part of this, what constitutes to this very multi-layered discussions and decisions that you have to make as a purchase. And a lot of the work of the consumer insight, you know, industry is to break this down into something that company can work with. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I follow you. You mentioned something there, which I'm going to kind of throw back a little bit. <laughs> okay, and that was around, okay. you know, you mentioned generations as well. And it just made me thought, it made me think that if we look even at the last four years, three years of what's happened globally, well, you know, everybody knows what's happened globally. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but over that period of time, there's been this huge shift in customer awareness and customer expectation. And while I agree with everything that you've just said, I would ask what your thoughts are on this seeming shift towards, well, if company A isn't giving me what I want, I will switch to company B. And it seems to be a much more rapid transition to that decision now. Yeah. And if that's the case, and I kind of almost know the answer before I say this, but I'm going to say <laughs> it anyway. If that's the case and customers aren't as, quote, sticky as they used to be, What's the point of investing so much in the brand and in the advocacy side of things? So, yeah, it's true that consumers switch and they would switch, but they would switch on the criteria that was there before and that will stay here. And consumers have changed all the time. They have not stopped changing and then oh, it was not a kind of a, a golden era where people were not changing. <laughs> they were changing and there were generations before. I think what has changed recently is that there is a, a lot more choices for for the different a different industry, and there is a choice fatigue within consumer. That is definitely something that you can. So, they might actually say that remove the choice, the options for some parts of their life or some of the criteria that they have to, some of the decision that they have to make, and leave that space for others. So, one example in the UK, for example, is that. You know, there is not a lot of stickiness to supermarket brands. Might you go to the one that is the closest, you want go to the one that provides the best prices that you have this day or today. That's more in urban location than in rural location, but it's something like that. But on the other hand, 
when you think about other type of brands, content brand, for example, there is less of a switch into that. So that's one one thing. The other thing I think is what is um, important here is that it's not because you're not investing into your customer loyalty or customer advocacy that then you will be more successful than others. And I think that's the main key. You know, it's not like, well, I will just do as much as I can in terms of just do with the process and then it will grow. No, you need to do it anyway <laughs> to be able to reach out to the people that you know to exist within the competitive world, to exist as a brand and be able to actually have a narrative that you own and you feel the value that you want to have with the conversation that you want to have with that. That may bring me back to consumer insight and something I wanted to say from the beginning. <laughs> you know, the conversation didn't come, but I think today in this world, you know, to be successful, brands need to establish a two-way dialogue, two-way conversations with their customers, but also with the consumers that they are not part of their customer base today. And so this is where some people do that and some brands do that directly on social media. Some brands, you know, try to exist or do this in a relatively crafty way. And some others kind of engage with the more formal user experience or user research industry to put that in perspective. However they are doing it, it's very important to be able to have this conversation with your users to get feedback, but also to get ideas, to understand where you are, (laughs) to get with more ideas as well. And to have customers be part of this of your business problems and part of the solutions of it. Depending on where you choose to engage with that customer, or non-customer, prospective customer, future customer, whatever the appropriate phrase is there. But depending on where you choose to have that conversation, I agree with you, it should be a two-way conversation because feedback is a gift that you should accept, or certainly as a business, whether you do anything with it or not. But I have seen scenarios, and I can give examples, whereby uh, feedback has been offered on a social environment such as Twitter, as an example. Feedback is offered on Twitter, and then you read this thread of several messages about their experience. And then at the bottom, inevitably, quite often, you see a, hi, we're sorry this has happened, please contact us via direct message. And it's kind of taken offline. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on that, because that feels to me like there's a golden opportunity to go here's how we're going to solve it in a really public forum that would show that off. But I guess the risk is that could go wrong. Yeah, it could go wrong. The main risk in the company I work with, the main reason why go DM was when it started to be specific case, specific customer, specific data being exchanged. So then that's why in this case it's moved on. It's very difficult to run this type of two-way conversation on social media for a lot of different reasons. And I will not kind of completely recommend doing it. I think it's possible to do customer feedback and customer engagement on social media for relatively big and small brands, but with intent. And so, you know, being very clear about what you're doing here. I do think, though, that it's very important for brands to also have a safe space where consumer discussions can happen without having to think that everything would be then made public. 
And it's also could be good also for the consumer themselves because they can also feel that they are safe there and they can say what they want and they will not be judged by what they're saying. And that is where more the, kind, the type of two-way conversation that I'm used to, to work with. And here, I think one of the things that is really useful and very interesting is when you see co-creation happening. So, you know, you come to workshops where you say, well, we want to talk to you about how do you make a purchase decision based on for the e-commerce website and none of this. And then you have in the room people from marketing, people from product, people from finance, kind of different uh, parts of the company listening to what really is happening from in, within the customer mind. And then the customer can actually advising think what then the solution could be. Oh, it would be good if that and that and that. And then if you do that, not only for this customer, but for different group of customers, if you bring into play the diversity that we are discussing, different groups, if you think about what can I get from this conversation, what can I make this a commonality and what was specific to this conversation and this customer, that's where you can have a really nice interaction first, but also bringing and really have a consumer-centric design that is moving one step at a time and that will stay in tune with what also is changing within customer mind. I agree. And I really like what you've just described there, whereby you have many different areas of the business ensuring that they have these touch points with the customer. I'm only going to speak now to back up what you've been saying before we kind of move on. But within the work that I do, I speak to clients and customers an awful lot. And there have been times in previous roles and in previous scenarios whereby that has been my role. I've gone and spoken to the third party or the customer, explained what we're going to do. It's been a really great solution for that customer. You go away and talk to the internal parties and they don't have any exposure to that. And then they don't understand the importance or the key important areas or aspects of that. And conversely, when I've sat on conversations whereby we've had the client and the developer and someone from testing and someone from the account management team, and you actually sit there and you all understand the, so the challenge that you're trying to overcome for that particular individual or business, and it transforms the conversation. And I don't know why, but there's then investment, emotional investment internally in getting this right for the customer. Totally. I've seen and observed that a number of times that when companies and different people within different areas of the business are suddenly meeting a consumer or a customer together. Suddenly, you know, their own differences, point of view, agenda dissolved. And then it's everybody wants to help this customer and move on and actually achieve the purpose of the company. That when it's happened, it's really magical. I've seen that up to bump that remember, you know, I had a, a member of a, of a very big leader talking to us and saying the fight is outside. And that's kind of to try to generate the same idea that it's not really important if it is marketing or if it is product or if it is finance that has the, the upper hand. What is really important is to enable the purpose and to actually serve this customer and build in the brand affinity that goes with it. And this is one of the reasons why those if everybody that works in a company that have empathy programs, that have programs where you know you can meet the customer together and all of this, I would always strongly encourage everybody to participate there, whether or not they're customer facing, because it's actually even people doing recruitment or people doing uh, you know finance or accounts, they actually will benefit from understand what is really happening in the customer interaction and what really is the company doing in terms of the impact that it has on the lives of those people. 
And it's always magical when this happens as well and when everybody feels that they are connected to the customer and to the purpose from this interaction. I agree. And I think that I'm conscious of time, but I think that that brings us beautifully round full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, which was around this culture of customer centricity. And how do you embed that? And it, it sounds, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or speak for you, so please correct me if you disagree, but it sounds like across the course of our conversation, we've kind of come full circle back round to that now by saying, actually, you achieve customer centricity and a culture of customer centricity within the business by exposing the business to customers at every opportunity, whether that's through qualitative data, quantitative data, direct conversations, or whatever that process may be. Is that a fair assessment? Would you phrase it differently? Am I just not? Yeah. What I might phrase differently is the at every opportunity. For me, it's about it's being clear when you go up to work leader, everybody in the company, that you are here to serve the customer. <laughs> and it's this idea, you know, the stewardship is there. Now, when you build this back into what it means into different level, is that important to dedicate some time within your week, within your month, to actually hear customer feedback, to engage with customer. That could be through, you know, reading comments on NPS or CSAT, app reviews. It could be about understanding what's happening on social media about your brand. It could be about meeting consumer or customers and talking about your brand. It could also be about listening to feedback received internally from call centers, for example, from people actually handling social media channels and really be open to receive this feedback. As you said earlier, feedback is a gift. And then the second thing is then to think about your decisions and think about, okay, how am I making a customer-centric decision here or am I making a business-centric decision? And yeah, not every decision would be customer-centric, of course. <laughs> yeah. Now, the question is the impact on the customer being taken and understood and acknowledged. Here's the impact on the long-term business that this impact has on the customer being also taken into account. And how we can actually maybe make some tweaks and changes to be sure that we are thinking about customer first and then enable the growth of the business from this value that we bring to the customer. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a much better way of putting it than I managed to put it. Thank you for that. <laughs> but no, you make some fantastic points. And I think it all feeds back into what you were saying earlier on around this, having the customer at the center of what you're trying to achieve and having these supportive layers around that experience that shield it from anything else as much as possible, rather than these being digital barriers that prevent that customer centricity from happening. Totally, totally. The digital should enable a better human interaction instead of actually putting friction into it. And I think one way to describe this is just to, it's better to actually remove the need to call <laughs> in a way, but then having a very, very nice and the best experience possible when there is a call. Yes, I completely agree. Um, I'm trying to think of ways to catch you out and to put it in a different way and go, aha, but, and I just don't have anything. I just don't have anything at all. And before I embarrass myself further, I think that might be a good opportunity for me to call it there. And thank you okay. ever so much for your time today. No problem. Belanger Chantrefuchs, it's been one of the best conversations I can remember having in a long time. I've absolutely enjoyed this. Thank you ever so much. I can't thank you enough. 
No, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. And let's see what's coming in the world of consumer insight and customer experience. Absolutely. I can't wait to see how people respond to this. I think it's going to be great. Thank you very, very much. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.